0: A lot of major intestinal fortitude going on here. On your home for Notre Dame football. Knocked down by Wooden. The game is over. The Irish is upset. Florida State, Notre Dame is number one. And Notre Dame basketball. Number one ranked UCLA Bruins have been upset by the Irish of Notre Dame. Good! wins the national championship for Notre Dame. Plus fighting Irish hockey. They score! Jake
1: Evans scores! Notre Dame, 3.7 seconds away from a spot in the national championship game.
0: The NFL and Major League Baseball. Oh my gracious, how about that? Sports Radio 960 WSBT. WSBTradio.com. The free WSBT radio app. Big time. Budgets. Now, here's your host, seven time Associated Press Broadcasting Award winner, Darren Pritchett.
1: Budweiser's weekday sports Speed is back live on this Wednesday, November the 22nd of 2023. Eight minutes after five o'clock. Our program will conclude at 630 tonight because there is Notre Dame basketball. The Irish are 2-2. They will take on Maryland Eastern Shore. 7 o'clock tip at Purcell Pavilion. We'll have the game for you right here on WSBT Radio. Tony Simeone will have the pregame beginning at 6.30. My name is Darren Pritchett from our WSBT studios in downtown South Bend. Joining me via the phone tonight is my co-host, the publisher and editor at Inside covering Notre Dame football for the rivals network. He is Eric Hansen, Eric. Happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Good to be with you on this Wednesday.
2: Oh, I appreciate that. And, uh, I am actually doubling up today covering men's basketball and whatever Maryland Eastern Shore is.
1: Okay, well I'm looking forward to find out and we'll (laughs) read all about it at InsideIndieSports.com later tonight following this Irish matchup against a team that I have no idea what their nickname is. I didn't even look it up today because it's just, it's not on the radar, Eric, because I've got Number 2 Boston College on the brain, a big hockey matchup at the Compton on Friday. And I've got Notre Dame-Stanford in my brain as well. Will the Irish get away from the road funkiness that they've had, I think, the last couple of months? It's time for the hangover to end, and we will talk about that and more over the next hour that we are together here on WSBT Radio. We'll have your chat recap coming up at the bottom of the hour. Eric spoke with Irish fans today for several hours at InsideIndieSports.com, and I stole a few of the questions. But first, let's get to our hat trick of opening topics as we begin tonight's program here on WSBT Radio. Eric, let's start with grabbing some of your thoughts from Notre Dame's 45-7 win over Wake Forest at Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday. We'll begin with this. What stood out with the Irish offense? No surprise going into that game, that side of the football was definitely in the spotlight.
2: Well, I would say at the top of the list, and there were there was a pretty good list here, but at the top of the list, it was the play of Sam Hartman against his former team and the freshman wide receivers. The freshman wide receivers because the all three were very consistent, uh, in that game, and I think, you know, they've invested so much in those guys and for them all three to have such a good game, you know, combining for over 200 passing yard or receiving yards and uh, having so many receptions between them with Rico Flores leading the way, Rico Flores Jr., I just thought at the top of the list it's that. But, I mean, there was a good rushing uh Yards per carry, 4.6. They were 5-10 on third down, one-on-one on, one on fourth down. You know, they converted a lot of situations that could have been field goals into touchdowns, although they, they did manage to make one into a field goal. But I'd say overall, it was a good, good day for the offense. Very good day.
1: Two things to build on your comments. Number one, the wide receiving core. Those young guys really stood out and... I agree with something that you wrote about a couple of days ago at InsideIndieSports.com. There was a learning curve with these freshman wide receivers, and there were ups and downs, and some of those downs did not help Sam Hartman along the way or his offensive coordinator. But, Eric, the good news is when you take a look at some of these young guys, it looks as though they are going to be a part of the solution in the future to eliminate some of the inconsistencies at those positions.
2: Yeah, 15 catches between, that, between the three of them, among the three of them, Flores, Jordan, Faison, and Jaden Greathouse. Um, yeah, I do think that they're going to be part of the solution. And, you know, I actually, the first question I got in chat today was, how did Notre Dame kind of get into this mess? And you look back and there were some really bad recruiting mistakes and retention issues with wide receivers. And so to start Backing talent, developing talent, having another really good recruiting class after this one, I think we're going to be worrying about wide receivers less in years to come.
1: <laughs> and Eric, the second thing Wake Forest statistically did an okay job putting pressure on the quarterback. Coming into the Notre Dame game, and with all the new parts along the offensive line, Ashton Craig getting his first start at center. Billy Shrout got the start at right guard. Things turned out pretty well for the offensive line on Saturday.
2: Yeah, pretty good pass protection. uh, No sacks. uh, Really not too many hurries. And you could argue that Wake's best pass rushers are on their edge and not up the middle. But what a lot of teams have done to take advantage of Notre Dame's interior offensive line is to do stunts and move those linemen around. And Wake Forest was absolutely uh, aware that Shrouth and Ashton Craig would be starters in this game. So it wasn't like it caught them off guard and, and they held up and, and I thought that was a good sign.
1: Now let's go to what stood out about the Notre Dame defense against Wake Forest. Eric, 232 yards, 81 passing yards and seven points. And I kind of feel like, and I don't want to be disrespectful to Wake Forest, but it was a very tricky drive that led to those seven points against the Irish.
2: Yeah, it was really interesting Listening to um, Al Golden on Monday night, we had him a day earlier this week because of the holiday. You know, Wake Forest didn't do anything in the first half that they had shown on film (laughs) all year. They really didn't run any slow mesh or very little of it until the second half and really didn't do it all that much in the second half. So they kind of started out more traditionally, which Notre Dame had no problem with. Then they went to, their whole gadget play bag, <laughs> and they were pretty successful. And Notre Dame kind of had to draw some defense up in the dirt to deal with that. That was the one scoring drive that Wake Forest did have. But then Notre Dame adjusted, and Wake Forest kind of went back to struggling on offense for the rest of the game. But, man, Notre Dame's pass defense is really good. I mean, they're up to number two now in the country and pass efficiency defense. They're closing in on the Buckeyes, who are number one. When you go back to that game, you say, wow, the best two pass defenses in the country were on the field that day. It felt like it at the time, and and that's what they've turned into over, over the course of the season.
1: Have you ever seen five offensive linemen just fall on their bellies as part of a play design like Wake Forest did against Notre Dame?
2: I have never seen that. They look like bowling pins. I mean I, I was like, okay, uh, you know is it supposed to draw your attention away from you know the skilled players on the game? I had never seen that, but yeah, they they definitely went deep into the bag of tricks. And again, a lot of their a lot of those gimmicks work, but Notre Dame eventually adjusted. Uh, To that, yeah, there was some, there was a lot of creativity there. You can only play left-handed for so long.
1: No question about that. Topic number two tonight: Eric Stanford is not playing great football right now. They are three and eight, two and seven in the Pac-12. But, but it is a road game for Notre Dame. The road has resulted in two losses and a near loss at Duke. Irish head coach Marcus Freeman this week on hitting the road once again. Games we were down, um,
2: uh, Clemson 7-3 and then uh, Louisville, I think 7 nothing you know, to start the game. And and we, we got to, from the first play of the game, have the mentality um, to, to we're going to have to go out there and win the interval on this play. We can't ooze into any game and so it's my job to make sure we are mentally and physically prepared Um, and uh, as I told them it's all it's their job too to make the choice that we're going to be mentally ready to go and so um, there's no one answer that can guarantee it's going to happen but it won't be from a lack of of effort by myself and our coaching staff to make sure this group is ready
1: Eric how concerned are you about the Irish not playing at Notre Dame Stadium on Saturday
2: well, it's a concern because every road game that they've played in that didn't have lightning in it, uh, they didn't play well, and and even in the NC State game, they didn't play well until there was lightning, and then lightning delay hot dogs, and so um, there's concern from that standpoint. Now, Stanford isn't as good as any of those teams Notre Dame played on the road, but they have had their moments. You know, they beat Washington State. 10-7. They gave Washington a run for a while. That was a nine-point game. They were within a touchdown of, I think, a really good Arizona team that may be higher in the rankings had their backup quarterback been their starter from the start of the season. So so they're capable in in moments to, to be better, even though their statistics are awful. Um, but I do like a few things about this road trip. One is they don't have a heavy academic demand with school being out here toward the end of the week. They've kind of leaned into the sports science of leaving on Friday instead of on Thursday, um, going across multiple time zones. And the fact that Marcus did do something different in practice, and we caught a piece of that in a soundbite there, and that they are doing some ones versus ones earlier in practice to get the competitive juices going all week earlier and perhaps then jump-starting a, in a game earlier. So I like the fact that he didn't just say, stand back and say, well, Stanford is awful, we'll mm-hmm. be okay.
1: He's Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. I'm Darren Pritchett, sports speed at 519. And our third and final hat trick of opening topics for tonight is our Advantage game. Yeah, we're going to do it tonight because we don't have a show tomorrow with Thanksgiving and we don't have a show on Friday as I've got a Notre Dame hockey game at 4 o'clock on Quality Rock, 94.3 FM. And then we've got NFL football with the Jets and the Dolphins, the first ever Black Friday National Football League Contest, so let's take care of our advantage game tonight. Eric will begin with the Stanford offense, and will they be able to run the football at all against the Fighting Irish defense led by defensive coordinator Al Golden that probably should have made the semifinal list for the Broyles Award?
2: Uh, Yeah, I mean, when you go through who made the semifinal list among defensive coordinators, Al Golden belonged on that yep. list. Yep. I, I'd say, yeah, he had one of the best 15 seasons of an assistant in the country. But, you know, I think it's a difference between them being a three-loss team, which doesn't have anything to do with Notre Dame's defense, and maybe being a one-loss team, then his name gets in there. A lot of times that that bottom line affects these awards. and I don't know what have affected the Audrick estimate thing, but Uh, We'll move on from that. So when Stanford runs the ball, uh, they're 107th in the country in rush offense. Notre Dame is 36th in run defense. And I thought it was interesting that Marcus made the point that Notre Dame has elected pretty much all season to go with a lighter box, that they feel like pass efficiency defense, I think especially with them not having an overwhelming pass rush this year, was more the direction that they wanted to go. So they were basically playing, you know, without that extra safety in the box for most of the year and were able to put up these kind of numbers against Stanford. Again, they shouldn't need it. Um, They should be able to function in their normal defense and, and get the big check mark when Stanford is running the ball.
1: Okay, now to when the Cardinal... Put the football up in the air. I guess they've got a couple of options at the quarterback position.
2: They do. Um, and sometimes they play together. And again, they've had some moments. I mean, the second, I watched the second half of the Colorado game. I think it was a Friday night or a Thursday night game. But I remember being able to watch it. And then uh, Stanford comes storming back in overtime. And so, again, they have. They have some weapons in their passing game. They're um, 56th in the country in passing offense, 112th in passing efficiency. But there's only one team in the country that plays better pass defense than Notre Dame this year, and that's Ohio State. So Notre Dame's two. And so, again, I think this is going to be a mismatch. Do I think Stanford is going to put a lot into their passing game? They're going to keep going after it and try to – you know, get a big play on Notre Dame's defense. It's just so hard the way that Notre Dame plays defense to get the ball over their heads like teams were at times able to do last year.
1: Advantage game, Eric Hansen, Darren Pritchett with you. Budweiser's weekday sports beat talking about 8-3 and three Notre Dame versus 3-8 and eight Stanford. Now to the fighting Irish offense led by running back, Audrick Estime, over 100 yards again last week. Sam Hartman had four touchdown passes against his old team. But let's begin with Notre Dame running the football against this Cardinal defense.
2: Well, of all the things statistically that Stanford does and doesn't do awful, run defense is the one thing that that they're, they can kind of hang their hat on. I mean, and they're... 52nd in rush defense, which isn't great, but it's above average. Notre Dame is 59th in rush offense. Some of that is because they don't do it as often as some of the teams ahead of them. They're they have a good yards per carry, um, and they have Audrey Estime, who is one of the best ten running backs in the country. And maybe he'll be a little bit mad. He he weighed in on Twitter slash X. About being um, shortchanged on the Doak Walker Final Ten, uh, even though this looks kind of like an even matchup, I give Notre Dame the check mark here. I think their balance will open things up in the run game, but I do think Stanford is going to try at all costs to to do what the Stanford team did last year in beating Notre Dame at Notre Dame Stadium, and that is. Leaning into the run, trying to confuse the offensive line with a lot of different looks and pressures, and then just you know pressuring the quarterback when it is third and long. But I still think Notre Dame gets it done.
1: Okay, now to win Sam Hartman, and maybe later on in the ballgame, Steve Angeli throws the football for the Irish.
2: And maybe even Kenny Minchie, just depending on how ah. things go, too. Um, Notre Dame is forty fourth in the country in pass offense, but eleventh in pass efficiency. Stanford is one twenty seventh in pass efficiency defense. It's the worst pass defense and the worst total defense they will see this season. And I think Notre Dame is going to chop it up. I, I especially with Rico Flores. You know his family lives two hours away, so there should be a lot of Flores in the stands, I think Notre Dame gets it done.
1: Now we go to special teams. Yeah,
2: when you look at the raw numbers, neither of these teams is tearing it up in, you know, coverage and returns. They both have very interesting kicker. Cardi for Stanford is um one of the best kickers in the country. And then <laughs> For some reason, Stanford has played two punters this year. I don't know if it's injury-related. I don't know if they do the same thing and have both punters out there at the same time, but and I am kidding. Um, but uh, I still think Notre Dame is the more pot, you know, potentially explosive special teams team here, and so I'll give Notre Dame the nod here, too.
1: Finally, we will move to intangibles. One might be which team will have more fans in the stands out at Stanford Stadium.
2: Yeah, you know, it was odd. Stanford Stadium sold out for the Cal game, and I do think a lot of those were Cal fans that uh, made the short trip, but I do think Notre Dame will have a lot of fans in the stands. I guess, you know, Stanford has the tree. They have their band who had played defense against Cal way back in the day. (laughs) Uh, So, um, but... You know, Notre Dame has a lot more to play here than Stanford. I mean, it's not, you know, Stanford had beaten them last year, so it's not like they even have the revenge factor going for them, Stanford. So I give Notre Dame the intangibles here.
1: All right, clean sweep for the Irish, a 26-point favorite on the road, taking on the Stanford Cardinal. Eric, really quick, any thoughts on... If this Notre Dame-Stanford series needs to be played every year, with Stanford going to the ACC, Notre Dame has an agreement to play, of course, five, six ACC opponents every year in football. Is it a necessity for Notre Dame to continue to play Stanford? What's your opinion on this rivalry that might be up in the air a little bit? Yeah, well,
2: I mean, the preliminary discussions have been, let's keep this going Um, And let's not count it as an ACC um, game. You know, the ACC thing that's already in place where they play an average of five ACC teams a year. They like to do it with USC, too. They like that, that California team coming to Notre Dame Stadium in the middle of October and then finishing their season on the West Coast in November. You know, not a lot of teams, Power 5 teams, would be real agreeable, especially that's kind of rivalry week for a lot of them, would be real, really agreeable to this kind of arrangement and and then who wants to come to South Bend the Saturday after Thanksgiving and play a game in Notre Dame Stadium? I mean that's that's a tough poll if you're trying to, and you want that octane at the end of your schedule, even with the twelve team playoff format, you're still, jostling for seeding you're still um you know playing maybe to even get in the playoff I mean this year Notre Dame wouldn't be in at this point and, and probably wouldn't be even with a win at Stanford but um let's say one of the other games went the other way that they were able to beat Clemson then then certainly this would be a very meaningful game in terms of where no, whether Notre Dame was playing at home or the road in the playoff and that kind of stuff. Uh, so I think it would be given good consideration. I think certainly if Jack Swarbrick were going to continue on in perpetuity, that 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 would probably be the design. I don't know what Pete Pavacqua thinks yet. I'm hoping to talk to him um, in the not-too-distant future. We'll see if that comes about. But uh, the incoming AD... But yeah, I do think this is something, and and again, Stanford and USC may not have as much play in the flexibility of these series, given that they're going to be in new conferences. They may have other obligations, but the the initial thoughts are, yes, let's keep playing it. And given all the other factors, I do like it. It's just... It would be better for Notre Dame if Stanford were better. I mean, not like better as in top 10 team, but better as in, you know, a quality win.
1: He's Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at insideindiesports.com. I'm Darren Pritchett. We'll both be back after a break when we return. A lot of Notre Dame football questions from around the world came into Eric's chat queue earlier today. We'll grab a few of those and talk some Notre Dame football next on Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat from Sports Radio 960 WSBT. Here come the Irish! Notre
0: Dame football coverage continues now.
1: Gives to Estime. He leaps at the one and goes over the strike. Touchdown Notre Dame.
0: Budweiser's weekday sports beat. Hartman keeps it, runs it up the middle, bulldozing to the end zone, and he's in. On sports radio 960 WSBT.
1: Close snap, hands off inside to estimate ten five. He'll get there. Touchdown, Notre Dame. And we are back on Budweiser's weekday sports beat live on 960 AM WSBT. We are streaming live at WSBTradio.com and the WSBT Radio app and a video feed of the program right now on the Twitch app. Darren Pritchett with you from our WSBT studios. Eric Hansen is the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com, covering Notre Dame sports as part of the Rivals Network. He joins me on the phone tonight. He'll be covering the Irish basketball game against Maryland Eastern Shore, which tips off at 7 o'clock at Purcell Pavilion and can be heard on WSBT Radio. Pre-game coverage begins... At six thirty, Eric, we go to your Wednesday chat today. You spoke with Irish football fans around the world and I've grabbed a few of the questions. So we'll have another Notre Dame football discussion in this segment. I'm going to start with Terry from Ithaca and Eric Terry wanted to know. Why does team performance vary so much from week to week? This is a hardworking team. It's hard to believe their practice habits change that much from one week to the next. It seems more likely related to what is emphasized in the game plan or something about the game day routine. While on the road, what do you think?
2: Yeah, so, I mean, as you know, Darren, most teams, there's a road home split you're usually a little bit better at home than on the road and Las Vegas acknowledges that when they make betting lines but Notre Dame is really extreme with it this year and it's not just because they play better competition on the road Um, I do think some of it is inexperience of the staff with dealing with road games you know I watched Brian Kelly for 12 years and Notre Dame became a better road team much later in his time at Notre Dame, just because of things he picked up along the way that would improve Notre Dame's road performance. And I do give Marcus credit again for this week, making some changes in terms of when the team is leaving and also restructuring practices to try to get past the rough starts. So, uh, Again, I mean, the thing that just really boggled my mind, Darren, and I'm curious your thoughts, too, was that they seem very unprepared for the crowd noise at Duke to deal with the cadence issues.
1: That's a very, very valid point. And, I mean, Eric, the, the best we can come up with, we don't get to watch practice, but... You've got a coordinator with very limited experience and maybe some things were misjudged. But at the same time, Eric, you'd have to imagine with some of the veteran experience in that offensive coaching staff room that if there was something that fell off, you would have thought someone would speak up and say, hey, maybe we should think about doing this.
2: Right. But I don't know that Gino at Cincinnati and uh, well, I would think Joe Rudolph did it. at Wisconsin and and maybe at Pitt, had some games that were, you know, Gaga, you know, game, college game day is there and and it's more raucous than usual in a particular stadium. For example, when Sam Hartman played at Duke in 2022, I think there were 17,000 people in the stadium, and it was triple that for the Duke Notre Dame game. But just not having a set of nonverbal communication ready to go seemed really odd to me. Yep.
1: All right. Eric Hansen, Darren Pritchett with you next up in our chat recap, Don from Scottsdale. What identifiable growth did you see in coach Marcus Freeman?
2: Yeah, I th- I think that's a good um, question. And he had asked about the assistance as well, but and just narrowing it down to Marcus, he had a much better idea of how he wanted to run the program. He had a much better idea of how he wanted to structure practices. He wasn't taking somebody else's ideas and then kind of form-fitting them to fit his own philosophy. He had, he had his own philosophy, and he had many more ideas about dealing with um, offense, offensive football, where he really – deferred a lot to Tommy Reese last year. Um, You know, outside of, you know, game day stuff, I think how he manages the NIL factor in recruiting and continues to push for the transfer policy reforms, I think those reflect Marcus's confidence in growing into the job where I would maybe say here's what's room for growth in – This offseason, less reliance on analytics for critical head coaching decisions in games. I think it's nice to know what the numbers are, but I think too much reliance on that is not going to pay off in the long run.
1: I like that. It felt like a lot of things were predetermined and decisions made in key situations. Okay. Correct. Next up in our chat recap, Jonathan from Hideaway. Texas he says I realize that fan is short for fanatic but do you think we've maybe gone overboard on the criticism of Notre Dame's offensive scheme and play calling by we I certainly mean to include myself Jonathan says I've been as frustrated and bewildered as anybody
2: well and and he went on to he, – he did a really good research job that Notre Dame's played some pretty good pass efficiency defenses this year. But when you look let, – let's look at Sam Hartman's pass efficiency rating, 158.8, and the teams that he's above it are the four teams they played at the very beginning of the season, Navy, Tennessee State, NC State, Central Michigan, that where there wasn't really a book on jared parker yet and then wake forest which which i'll give them some credit for doing well against that but in the middle there were a lot of problems and if you look at the numbers against the teams in the middle ohio state 140 that was respectable but 112.2 against duke 115.6 against louisville 70.9 against clemson the year prior against clemson darren Sam Hartman was 234.9. And, and here's what I say. If, if you're a group of five team and, and this is your budget for a coordinator and, and players and so forth, I think you can live with those numbers and those kind of splits. When you're Notre Dame, I think you owe it to the program to have one of the elite offensive coordinators running your team and I, that's why I don't think we've been overly critical. I think that's, those are the games that you have to mitigate those great past defenses, or maybe even transcend them. You look at what Al Golden did from the flip side against what was the number one offense in the country when they came rolling in, and that was USC. And Al Golden' defense forced five turnovers and made Calum. Williams looks silly. He also kind of set a template for other teams to follow to limit Caleb Williams. And so I think that's the expectation when you're at Notre Dame. So I don't think we've been overly critical. It doesn't feel good to be this critical. No, but I have to be honest. I mean, I'm not going to be dishonest with our listeners or our readers
1: yep no question well I joke with my listeners last night or actually two nights ago that after the Ohio State game when Estime didn't get the ball in the closing moments except for that one carry he was taken off the field fans complained then Estime was getting a lot of those carries soon after we all complained about play action passes after the Clemson game and they threw 11 and had Eight completions and two touchdowns. So, Eric, maybe the fans and us, we should come up with something else we'd like to see added to the offense because the antennas seem to be up right now a couple of miles down the road. What do you think? Should we talk about screen passes tonight?
2: (laughs) I think we should have Marie from Atlanta as a consultant for the offense.
1: I like that. And if you follow Eric's chat, you know who you're talking about. All right, Matt from Strong Island, New York. He would love to hear your opinion, Eric, on the renewal of the NBC deal and whether it's truly competitive. 50000000 million-ish from NBC, 12000000 million-ish from ACC is quite a bit less than the $70 million and rising that Big Ten schools are taking in. Is the lower deal just the cost of doing business as an independent? Do you think we get anything significant in return from NBC for taking a lower number?
2: Well, I mean, you get some exclusivity and you get the power to schedule your games when you have a say in scheduling your games when you want to. You don't have to wait. I mean, there's times, you know this, Darren, there's times where it's six days before a Notre Dame road game before we know the uh, kickoff time. Uh, Whereas with the NBC and the Notre Dame game times, we know when in May or June – when all those kickoffs are going to be. And so people can make plans and they can make flights and and those kind of things. The 12 million from the ACC, I've heard 17 million from the ACC. So that puts you in the ballpark. And I, I, I mean, we don't know for sure that the, we, we assume that the big 10 is going to be rising. We don't know for sure. We're going to try to get somebody on our podcast next week that really can help us go deep into these numbers and and read them more. But I think at least Notre Dame is in the neighborhood with the SEC and the Big Ten and ahead of where the ACC and the Big 12 are. So I think, to me, on the surface right now, I'm saying this is a win for Notre Dame.
1: I know the NBC golf production budget has been slashed significantly. They have gotten rid of a lot of high-end talent. They're cutting back on equipment, I have read. So NBC is, is, I guess, using a more stricter budget with their golf production. And I just wonder what that means about... College football broadcasting, will they be going for cheaper talent for their broadcast team for Big Ten and Notre Dame football games? So I'm thinking there may not be a change in the booth for next year based on what we're seeing with NBC cutting back costs in other areas of their operation. One more, Eric, to get to. Mike from Stillwater, Oklahoma. He has a question about offensive coordinator Jared Parker and his tenure at Notre Dame. Do you believe he would leave on his own, be fired, or be demoted back to his tight end coaching position?
2: I think all but option A is possible or likely, um, as well as none of the above. Uh, I, I don't think he would leave on his own i think he one of the other scenarios would would be including him being retained
1: okay all very much a possibility at this time you can read the complete chat transcript by going to insideindiesports.com that's inside Sports Beat being brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Football fans, this bud's for you, by Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger. Now with three locations serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. Bethel University's Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash ground for details. The Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at FeedIndiana.org. Legacy Heating and Air. Ask how you can get free maintenance for life and save like a champion today. Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. The Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. And South Bend Orthopedics, trusted in the community for 75 years. Our Twitter X question of the day is next on WSBT.
0: This is the Budweiser's Weekday Sportsbeat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960. WSBT.
1: Okay, we begin with what we had on Monday's program, who gets the ultimate game ball from Notre Dame's 45-7 victory over the Wake Forest Demon Deacons. Eric, if you had a vote in the matter, who would you have given that particular honor to?
2: Guy that was serenaded by Whitney Houston on the uh, video (laughs) board, Sam Hartman. (laughs)
1: Sam Hartman won the vote 36%. Irish offensive line got 25%. The Notre Dame defense only 20%. Enrico Flores Jr. got 19% of the vote. We thank you for voting on our Twitter X account at 960 Sportsbeat. Today's question, what is the correct parlay for the Notre Dame-Stanford game? The Irish favored by 26 over under is 51 and a half. So you have those different combinations. Notre Dame minus 26 over 51 and a half. You also have Notre Dame minus 26 under 51 and a half. Maybe you like Stanford plus 26 over 51 and a half or Stanford plus 26 under 51 and a half. I guess, Eric, kind of throw in your score prediction for the game and we can probably figure out which is the best parlay for you.
2: Well, I did not look at the line before I made my score prediction. So the, the over under is kind of funny. I have Notre Dame 41, Stanford 10. Oh, my God. So I am Notre Dame minus 26, and I am still at the under by half a point.
1: I didn't copy, I promise. I have 40 to 13 in favor of the Fighting Irish. So I'm in the Notre Dame minus 26 and over 51 and a half category. Eric, as we wrap up shop, we got about a minute left. Why don't you tell us what listeners can expect when they visit your website, InsideIndieSports.com?
2: Well, if you want to read the most popular uh, trending story in the entire Rivals Network, go to the chat transcript. Lots of good Questions from the chat heads today. No trip a fan. No paywall for that story. There is a paywall for um, Tyler's great film analysis from the Wake Forest game. We've got all kinds of recruiting stuff, including how the recruits did this weekend. Teddy Rizek won a state championship in Nebraska. And Darren, there's always much, much more, including my basketball
1: game story from later tonight. Eric, happy Thanksgiving. We'll talk to you on Saturday. Happy Thanksgiving. That's Eric Hansen, publisher and editor at Inside My name is Darren Pritchett. I'll return with some Notre Dame football recruiting nuggets in just a couple of moments as we continue on. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on this Wednesday on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT.
0: Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat continues on Sports Radio 960, WSBT wsbtradio.com, the WSBT Radio app, and on Twitch, as Darren Pritchett talks Notre Dame football recruiting with Blue and Gold Illustrated Insider Mike Singer.
1: It's time to talk Notre Dame football recruiting with Blue and Gold Illustrated's Mike Singer on Budweiser's weekday sports beat on 960 AM <laughs> WSBT, and on the Blue and Gold YouTube channel. We always encourage you to subscribe to the Blue and Gold YouTube channel, for all their great content and like this particular video. First off, Mike, happy Thanksgiving to you and your family. Hope you have a wonderful week.
3: Yeah, yeah, you as well, Darren. Um, It's been a good week so far, and we're traveling down to Florida to see some family for a few days, and um, yeah, looking forward to it.
1: Very good. Well, we've got one football game left. The season has flown by, the Irish going to Stanford, but we're here to talk some Notre Dame football recruiting, and Mike, we got some good news earlier in the week. Cree Thomas from out in Arizona, a guy that you've told us about, it seems like, for a long time. Verbally committed to the Irish's class of 2025. And that high school, man, has been very good to Notre Dame lately.
3: Yeah, Landon, a young man named Ben Morrison in the 2022 class. Um, I think he's he's worked out at Notre Dame. And uh, Notre Dame's uh, newest commitment from a uh, Phoenix Brophy Prep is in this 2025 class, like you mentioned. Cree Thomas, um, a cornerback prospect as well. And, you know, if I can pull up Ben Morrison's, um, you know, on three profile to show you guys, you know, how he was listed, um, you know, in terms of rankings and whatnot. So he's, he came out at six foot 172. Thomas is listed right now, finishing up his junior season, six one one seventy. 170. Thomas, a three... Or a high three star slash low four star across the board, and then you look at Cree Thomas. You know, is like a high three star right now, and it's like, man, like their profiles are kind of similar in terms of ranking and size. And then um, Darren, when I went and saw Ben Morrison play his senior year, he was a lot. He played a lot of free safety um, in, in cover two and just kind of locked down half of the field. And when you watch Cree Thomas, what what is he doing this first play? He's playing some safety. And gets a tip-ball interception. So even they're like the way they play um is kind of similar. So Cree Thomas committing to Notre Dame over Oregon, Wisconsin, and the Arizona schools. Um, I, I think this is a really nice pickup for the Fighting Irish. Um, you know, I, I you know if he's half of what Benjamin Morrison has been mm-hmm. in Notre Dame, then then it's a huge pickup. And um, I mean, yeah, Cree's even wearing the number 20 here. Um, so uh well, that even looks like Ben Morrison a little bit. I really like this pickup for Notre Dame and, um, and another way that these two kids are similar talking about Morrison and Thomas is that just phenomenal young man. Morrison was a, an absolute treat to cover. And Thomas has been as well. Um, and as I told Thomas, when I interviewed him about his commitment about eight days before he announced it, I thanked him for making me look smart. Um, cause I logged a prediction for him back in April to land at Notre Dame. And that ended up coming true. Um, so, a rare uh Mike Singer moment looking good, Darren. Um, uh, but uh, yeah, I, I love the pickup for Notre Dame, Mike Mickens and uh, Marcus Freeman do a, a tremendous job uh recruiting defensive backs. I think they've kind of proved that in their track record. Um, since Freeman, I mean, really, since uh Mickens got here, um, in his first class would have been what 2021 because he got here a year before uh Freeman did. Um, so yeah, I mean, not a highly ranked guy right now, uh, but you know. It, Common bozos who just only want to go off recruiting rankings, you know, <laughs> you're just not following the right program. Notre Dame is going to, you know, land some big-time players, but they have to, you know, be a developmental program, with, you know, with, with some of these – like, they're just not going to be able to land, like, high four-stars and five-stars across the board. They're going to take some three-stars, and you got to hit on some of these three-stars. They did with Ben Morrison. Uh, they did with a guy named Joe Waltz, Um, and, and they're going to continue to do it moving forward.
1: I love his six one height at corner and, you know, the versatility, the athleticism. I mean, this is a great guy to take, I don't want to say take a chance on. This is a guy that seems to profile to Notre Dame. And Mike, I mean, I don't know if there's many guys on the staff that we all trust more than Mickens in his evaluation. You even go back to Cincinnati. He was all in on sauce Gardner and Marcus was a little slow to even uh, jump on the sauce bandwagon and look what he's done here. Look at the development of the young guys. So if there's anybody I trust, Coach Mickens, I tell you what, Mike, is near the top of my list.
3: Yeah, in agreement. He's done a phenomenal job. And that's the reason why he's kind of being thrown out there as like a, a potential defensive coordinator. Like that's going to be his next job. Um, you know, he's not going to be just the cornerback's coach uh, at Notre Dame forever. He is going to be a defensive coordinator, whether it's at Notre Dame or somewhere like his his trajectory as a coach is definitely up. Mike Mickens has has done a really good job in his few years at Notre Dame.
1: Well, if there's one thing that you probably get tweeted about more than anything, it's player rankings. (laughs) But we have, we have good news for all those people that, that holler at you, even though you have nothing to do with the process, but on three had some rankings updates and I noticed in one of your social media productions there's a lot of Notre Dame guys that took big jumps this time around
3: Uh Darren I've I mean if there's what four, four five, six, seven, I don't know how many when you well when you look at high school junior class and high school seniors there's how many rankings updates are there per calendar year what ten right. So multiply that by, you know, the four and a half years I've been here, you know, around 50, you know, 40 to 50 ranking cycles I've covered. I've never seen one this pro Notre Dame before. Cam Williams, Notre Dame's uh, five-star receiver commit. So, okay, so here's the thing. He's a five-star according to the industry ranking, which takes the four websites on three 24-7 ESPN arrivals you know, spits out the formula and that's what it is, right? It kind of weighs uh, all all four websites and has an average. We're just talking about on three's own individual rankings here. Um, So for example, Cam Williams, none of the sites rank him individually as a five-star, but the on three industry ranking does um, because he's the number 26 overall player. And I believe it has 32 five-stars. But on three actually ranks him higher than the entry ranking, but he's a four star because on three doesn't have 32, five stars. I know it, it's it's a, it's a whole thing. Um, But Darren, he moved up um, a few spots. Number 28 to 24 in the national rankings, Gerby Lambert, 29 to 21 in the national rankings. Um, I think on three has Kudren young, the running back commit from Texas ranked highest. All the websites have Anthony Knapp ranked as a three star, except for on three. Who actually moved him up 46 spots in the national ranking? Micah Gilbert uh, moved up about 90 spots in the national rankings. Kingstonville Yamuasa moved up 36 spots. Um, yeah, Styles Prescott on three-hands ranked high. So it's like across the board, Logan Saldate, the receiver from California, went from a three-star to a four-star. Across the board, Darren, these Notre Dame commits are skyrocketing, but no one cares. Because it's all about CJ Carr. The whole discussion is about CJ Carr. Um, so, uh, that I mean th- that's the topic, right? He actually moved down 15 spots in the national rankings and one spot down in the quarterback ranking. So, if you are just like I hate on three, I'm not willing to listen to any reasoning. I, I I'm done with this, Mike. Just just stop listening or stop watching. I you know, just just skip past this. But if you're willing to listen, then. Let's let's have a conversation. I disagree with this ranking. I think Carr is definitely not the number two hundred eight overall player and number fifteen quarterback. And this is, of course, the you know the Irish pledge from the Ann Arbor area, grandson of Lloyd Carr. Um, but Darren, maybe he is. Like maybe this ranking is correct. Maybe it's not. How no, we can't know yet. Like I, that's my whole thing. It's like people that are slamming their fists on the table. Like I don't know. Maybe maybe someone else sees something different in car or maybe they see other quarterbacks just better than CJ. I don't you know, like, we will find out in college. That's the beauty of this. We will find out in a few years. And if on Three's rankings is very wrong, I will gladly look at those tweets and and, and enjoy them with you to just like, yes, Charles power. You were wrong. The on three rankings guy. But if Charles was right, you know, then then own up to it. I I don't know. We'll we'll just see, guys. Just calm down. Like, it's just the rankings. They're not that big of a deal. Now, there's one other thing that I wanted to talk about is my coworker, Kyle Kelly, did a really good story, um, Darren, on um, four reasons why Notre Dame football fans should be pleased with the latest on three rankings. How about this? Cam Williams is tracking to be Notre Dame's first five-star recruit at receiver since Michael Floyd in the 2008 class. Gerby Lambert is set to become Notre Dame's highest-ranked offensive line prospect since Sam Young back in the 2006 class. Kedron Young very well may be Notre Dame's top running back recruit since Sierra Wood back in 2009. And Bryce Young is nearing Notre Dame's top defensive line slash edge prospect since 2011, when Notre Dame signed three five-star prospects, Aaron Lynch, Ishaq Williams, and Stephon to it. and that's all in one recruiting class. That sounds pretty good, Darren. It does. That sounds pretty good. So, um, yeah, so that, that's the whole thing. Um, I disagree with C.J. Carr's ranking it on three, um, but, you know, across the board, um, it's a pretty darn good class according to these rankings
1: as a novice recruiting guy who listens to you, I was talking to someone else a couple of days ago and they were really impressed with the wide receiver that was going to go to Oregon state.
3: Yeah. And- saldate. I
1: mean, it sounds like he has had a, a massive fall.
3: Yes. Yes. saldate has been, been excellent. And um, yeah, I, I, when he committed to Notre Dame, um, I just remember talking to the on three rankings guys. They're like, yeah, he's going to get bumped up. Like, we love him. Um, it's just kind of a matter of time. And he was a three-star across the board, so we got the old Notre Dame bump, Darren. <laughs> um, people talk all the time about, oh, if you want to get dropped in the rankings, commit to Notre Dame. I see this from fans all the time. Saldate, if he did not flip, like, let's say he still committed to Oregon State right now. Do you think rankings guys are looking at him as, as closely? Maybe. Maybe he still gets bumped the four-star. I don't know. But I tend to think that 24-7 arrivals probably don't bump him to a three to a four-star. My conversation with on-three guys, they seem to be trending towards that anyways. Um, but he moved from a, a low three to a high three after his commitment to Notre Dame, and then a high three to a, a low four-star, number 288 overall player, and number 47 receiver in the country. So, yeah, Soldati's been a baller um, this season uh, in, in California.
1: I'm Darren Pritchett from WSBT Radio. He's Mike Singer from Blue and Gold Illustrated, our Notre Dame football recruiting update. Now we turn our attention to the entire 24 class. Mike, where do things stand right now?
3: Well, this is where we have to start and talk about the 2024 class. It's, it's very good. Notre Dame, after the on-three rankings update Monday, actually moved up a spot in the national rankings because it was so kind to the Irish. So Notre Dame has the number nine class in the country Last year, the the twenty twenty three class finished number ten. So you'd like to see that. Um, it's strong across the board. It's a very good class. You have twenty three commits, which is kind of the area that Notre Dame's been finishing at in terms of total commitments in in recent um, in recent years. Now the big question is, who do they add down the stretch? This is this is kind of the the big three things. For, for Marcus Freeman and the staff down the stretch is number one, you have to keep these guys committed, locked in, you know, just, just because Notre Dame might not like land a bunch of new prospects close to signing day. That really does not matter if your class that you already had committed is very strong and Notre Dame loves the class that it has. So you have to keep these guys locked in. The second thing is go get, I would say about five to seven guys in the portal. I could see like, High school guys plus portal guys, you know, about 30 new players that Notre Dame brings in this offseason. And then the third thing would be can they flip someone or take a flyer on someone else who might be ranked lower? Namondi Oboko is the guy we've been talking about for a while, the Georgia a defensive line commit from the the Raleigh area, North Carolina. I'm being told that he's likely to stick with the Bulldogs, Um which I'm writing about at blueandgold.com on Tuesday night. so folks uh, can read more on that. But uh, for, for you know for those details. But Boko looking like he's going to stick with Georgia. You know we've talked before about Carter and Nelson, the Nebraska tight end commit. I think he's going to stick with the Cornhuskers. So you know the list of like guys in Notre Dame can flip is starting to go from like four to zero. Um, so who does Notre Dame kind of move on moving forward? Do they at all? Do they just stick with the twenty three? Um, my personal opinion is that they're just gonna kind of stand pat. Um, like I, I don't think there's they're gonna learn about some new prospect. like they're like who's gonna pop up on the board that they haven't known about in scouting this class for multiple years. But what could pop up is a decommitment, like, you know, uh, ex coach gets fired from a school and Notre Dame likes that player, and the player likes Notre Dame, but he committed to this school and now his coach left. So, something like that could open the door for Notre Dame, or if knock on wood, they lose a commit, now they need to fill that spot, and then they could go get someone that they may not have tried to go after, you know, before. So, um, you know, with a school like Notre Dame, Darren, they always rank high early in the class, right? They're always like that, number one, very early in the cycle because they land so many prospects early on because those kids just know Notre Dame, right? Once you know Notre Dame, you don't need any other explanation. Um, uh, but if you don't know Notre Dame, no explanation will suffice, right? Great quote, Lou Holtz. I know I butchered it, but you know you guys got me. So that's why like these kids pop to Notre Dame so early and then they don't get as many kids late because the guys who decide late in the cycle a little bit more drama with those recruitments and those kids often don't choose Notre Dame do they sometimes absolutely uh, but that's kind of why uh, that Notre Dame's not hot on the trail in December they're more hot on the trail in the summer
1: Mike as we enter the holiday season what do you think Notre Dame fans have to be thankful about in regards to this 2024 recruiting class
3: Yeah I would definitely Darren go to the high-end talent that they have. I mean, they the the how they hit on their top targets has been very impressive. Cam Williams, they literally have a five-star receiver, six-two and a half, 196 pounds, um, incredible speed, ball skills, like this guy's a dude. They landed their top offensive tackle target in Gerby Lambert. They landed their top quarterback target in CJ Carr. Their top linebacker target in Kingston Villiamuasa. Just go, you just go down the list. In the, I mean, that's one, two, three, four, five top hundred players. Um, That's good. uh, You know, that's as good as you're going to see across the country. I mean, the this is just a top heavy class. Um, And there's some, you know, under the radar. Ish, you know, I don't know if you could be committed to Notre Dame and be under the radar, but there are some three star guys that, you know, uh, I know Notre Dame feels very who are very underrated. So I think you have to be thankful, though, about the just top level skill that is coming in at at key positions as well. Quarterback, receiver, um, offensive tackle, linebacker, like some big positions, some big time talents. I think you got to be really happy for Notre Dame fan about this 2024 class.
1: In the current roster, it it seems like, Mike, they've got a pretty good batch of slot receivers. That's why I'm really intrigued with Williams. I know he's a young guy, and it's going to be development, but there's an outside guy to build around. So you're starting to amass talent at wide receiver, and as they continue to grow, I really think the solution to some of the problems of this year are on the roster, and Williams is also going to help along the way as well.
3: Uh, He's enrolling early. I think he's got a good chance to contribute as a true freshman. Uh, I mean, they have three true freshmen contributing in a big way this season. Um, I, I think they'll have one next year at, at least. Maybe, dude, maybe I mean, Saldate, Micah Gilbert, Kane Williams, again, all three of those guys rising in the on-three rankings in a big way after their senior season. That means that they're getting better and better as they finish their high school, at least according to, you know, one metric in, in, in terms of rankings, but definitely a good sign for the Irish. And we're waiting on Braylon, too. Yeah, Braylon James He's is I mean, he's, he's, you know, uh, of the you know freshmen they brought in, he's definitely the fastest, not even close. Well,
1: I guess as we start thinking about Christmas, which isn't too far away, I blue and gold illustrated a subscription would be an awfully nice stocking stuffer.
3: Absolutely, Darren. And uh, for, for your radio audience and, uh, and my YouTube audience, we do um, even have a, a, a special offer a dollar for two months when you use promo code UND1. So UND, just the number one, that'll get you $1 for two months, and that is a special um, for uh, your, your audience and uh, and my YouTube audience.
1: Mike, thank you so much as always. Mike Singer, Notre Dame Football Recruiting Insider, Blue and Gold Illustrated, blueandgold.com. We wrap up Sports Beat next on this Wednesday. Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960 WSBT.